0: So, Jordan is today uh, in Illinois. He is doing a conference for a church that uh, does a yearly conference about the Holy Spirit. They haven't had it for a couple of years, but they're finally doing it again. So, he's really honored to be there. We miss you, honey. We're all okay. Um, so I have the real privilege of speaking today. Um, and I'm going to talk about something that's I feel like God has been putting on my heart the last few weeks. I was actually in Boston a couple weeks ago speaking at an MIT uh, Asian Christian Fellowship conference. And I felt like God gave this to me to speak as well. I'm on a journey. And I'm not going to give the same talk I gave them because I feel like God is actually teaching me through it. And I just invite you to join me as you walk through um, the story of Job. Such an uplifting topic, and you know, when you have have a lot of lemons in life, there's a purpose behind it. Quick, look up! All right, thank you. All right, here's one. All right, lemons coming your way! When a lemon is coming your way, it's hard to know what to do. You need to have a reaction. I actually picked about 200 pounds of lemons from our tree. They're all in the back. Please take lemons home with you. Um, Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Actually, they're like like these hybrid things. They're delicious. Um, Okay. When I was um, in Northern Ireland a few years ago, I had an experience that was really interesting. Uh, Jordan and I and the kids had been up there to do a conference for some people, and uh, we were guided through this uh, little town, Coleraine, uh, it's up on the way, the top coast. If you've ever been, heard about um, the Giant's Causeway, that's where that is also. And it's a very old town. And in this town, there had been, hundreds of years ago, uh, a, sort of a spontaneous revival among school children. Little kids coming to know Jesus and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And that was sort of sewn into that town. And there was a, a center square where that all kind of went down. And then years later, uh, a a church up on that north shore of of uh, Ireland uh, began healing services. They were doing healing on the streets. And they would go out every Saturday and pray for people um, in the town square. People would just come and sit down, and there would be chairs. And rain or shine, uh, they would be praying for uh, the sick or those with broken souls. And they started to see also a wave of God doing miraculous, powerful things. So this area was kind of drenched with a move of of God. So when we went, uh, someone said to us, you should really go check that out. Go take a look and walk around it and and see um, what you discover. I was walking through that little, like, cobble-paved area, and I came to... I think there was like a a plaque. I can't remember exactly what it looked like um, in the middle of the square. And all of a sudden, I was arrested. I knew the history of that place. We've been told that. But I was arrested by a presence that took my breath away. And I stood there for I don't know how many minutes Jordan and the kids went inside a building and I just stood there and I couldn't say anything, which is a miracle. miracle. (laughs) All I could say standing there in the rain was teach me your ways. I had this strong sense of something very big, something very beyond my knowledge and my data set and I felt very much like it was the presence of God and I didn't know how to access it except to say teach me your ways we went back to our house we were staying and then later that night in the middle of the night, probably like two or three in the morning, I woke up again, and I felt the same presence next to me in the, in the bedroom. And again, my, my hands, they just started to shake. And I didn't have any information. All I had was this prayer coming out of me. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. I know nothing. I Know that, that you are here, and there's more for me. Have you ever had an experience, something like that? Sometimes in worship, I think we sometimes get a little taste of that. Today, when the band was, was playing their hearts out, I think the music was pretty good. But I, I noticed Jameson, he's like... In that space, there is an encounter... There's an encounter with God. That's why we come to worship. We don't come, I mean, band is really good. But we could go somewhere else to experience great music. We come because we're encountering the presence of God. We were designed to meet with God. I think that these days... um, we have a little bit of an issue, an increasing issue, with how we know things. There's never been a time in history when we have known so much. We are inundated with information. How many hours of YouTube did you watch this week, Robin? Um, So much information. we're in a series, supposedly, about how to help the devil. Now, Jordan, my very talented, wonderful husband, Kwok, my spouse does great things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, he's, he's very good at uh, doing this series where he's actually pretending to be the devil and teaching us his um, protégés how to get the inside track on ruining Christians' lives. I'm not so good at that. So I'm actually not going to do that today. But I do want to talk a little bit about how the devil uses knowledge against us. How do we help the devil with what we know? Um, I think today the devil is doing that to a great degree. He's replacing what we talked about, the experience of the presence of God with a lot of knowledge about God. We have a lot of knowledge about, and opinions about how things should go and how we should love people and make things right, but we don't necessarily have a lot of experience with loving people and making things pono, with making things right. There is a, a, there's a knowledge gap. We are facing a knowledge gap. And I want to suggest today as we look at the book of Job that God has a solution for the knowledge gap. And we want to help God help us by cooperating with him within that. So first of all, okay, some of you know that I have a background in acting. I don't have a background in directing. We have a director back there. But uh, today we're going to do a little drama. I thought this would be fun. Okay, Lord Jesus, help us with the time here. Okay, I need... Okay, oh, this is, so, this is really fun. <laughs> okay, who's the, who's the most humble person in this room? <laughs> who's the humblest person? All right, Narayan, come here, all right, come on. All right, all right. Here's Narayan? Now, I'm gonna, I'm going to narrate the story of Job, just to give us a visceral experience of this. And I want you to be good participants and play game with me here. What if I call you up? Okay, Naren, sit down. There lived in the land of Uz a man named Job, a good man who feared God and stayed away from evil. He had a large family of seven, seven sons. one, two, three, four, five, six. Six, seven, seven sons. Come here, and three daughters. One, two, three, <laughs> three, three, <laughs> and was immensely wealthy. He owns seven thousand. Uh oh, problem. Seven thousand sheep. Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Just stand up. 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. One, two, three camels. Okay, can you do help me out here. What do camels say? Do something that camels say. Come on. Okay, all right, okay. Well, I missed that. The sheep, can you say something sheep say? Thank you. Excellent. And 500 teams of oxen. One, two, three, four, five. Can you stand up, please? What do oxen say? Uh, okay, great, great, great. Five teams of oxen. And 500 female donkeys. <laughs> one, <laughs> two, okay, one, one, two, three, four, five. 500 female donkeys. What do, do, what do female donkeys say? so good. And employed. Many servants. The rest of you, stand up. (laughs) Stand up, please, Job. He was, in fact, the richest cattleman in that area. Now, every year, when Job's sons had birthdays, they invited, son of boys. Birthday birthday boys. They uh, invited their brothers and sisters to their homes for a celebration. Tell them they can come. All All right. Okay. On these occasions, they would eat and drink with great merriment. Okay. (laughs) But when these parties ended, and sometimes they lasted several days, big ragers, Job would summon his children to him and sanctify them. Can you go down the line and sanctify them, Job? Getting up early in the morning... And offering a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said, Perhaps my, sins have sin- my sons have sinned and turned away from God in their hearts. What a great father. This was Job's regular practice. Oh, shoot, I need some angels. One day, as the angels came to bring themselves, oh, very important. This is a big one. Are you a son? Are you- <laughs> Oh, this is a big one. Oh, Craig Chong, come here. Craig can be the Lord. Uh, okay. Yeah. Stand. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Can you get on the chair? Well, well, look at this. Who's the best looking person in here, man or woman? Best looking. Johnny. Johnny, come here. Oh, you're an oxen, and he's an. Oh, it's okay. You can, you can come in. Okay. okay, and I need, okay, I need out of here. Oh, you're an angel. Come on, Michelle, you're like an angel. Oh. And Barb, you're an Michelle. angel. Come oh. here, these two angels. Angels and Satan. One day, as the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, Satan, the accuser, came with them. And I'll talk for you. put your mouth. <laughs> Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. And Satan replied, From earth. <laughs> Where I've been watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan. Have you noticed my son? Oh, God. Yes. is the finest man in all the earth. A good man who fears God and would have nothing to do with
1: evil. Oh, that's
0: right. Do you want to, do you want to speak Satan? It's on the wall. Why shouldn't he when you pay him so well? Satan scoffed. You have always protected him and his home and his property from all harm. You have prospered everything he does. Look how rich he is. No wonder he worships you. But just take away his wealth and you'll see him curse you to your face. And the Lord replied to Satan. You may do anything you like with his wealth, but do not harm him physically. So Satan said, run away, run away, run away, <laughs> and sure enough, not long afterwards, when Job's sons and daughters were dining at the oldest brother's house, who's the oldest one here? Gino, okay, um, tragedy struck. A messenger rushed to Job's home with this news. You want to were plowing, with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the... Sabeans. Sabeans raided us, drove away the animals, and killed all the farmhands except me. I am the only one left. Okay, oxen and donkeys, you're dead. Sit down. Oh. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> While this messenger was still speaking, can you be messenger? While this messenger was still speaking, another arrived with more bad news. The fire has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Roast lamb. Oh. And all the herdsmen And I alone have escaped to tell you. Before this man finished, still another hillary would you please? Rushed in. Three, three bands. Three bands of Caldeans. Chaldeans have driven off your camels inc- by least, and killed your servants and I alone have escaped to tell you. Sorry, camels. All the servants. All right. As he was still speaking, another, what? Another arrived to say, Tom. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and engulfed the house so that the roof fell in on them and all are dead. I alone escaped to tell you. Oh. oh. In all of this, Job did not sin or revile God. Now, the angels came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was with them. (laughs) Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. From earth, where I've been watching everything that's going on. Well, have you noticed my servant Job, the Lord asked, he is the finest man in all the earth, a good man who fears God and turns away from all evil, and he has kept his faith in me despite the fact that you persuaded me to let you harm him without any cause. Oh man, Satan, you're such a you're such a devil, Satan. Okay. Skin for skin. Satan replied. A man will give anything to save his life. Touch his body with sickness, and he will curse you to your face. Do with him as you please, The Lord replied. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job. (laughs) (laughs) With a terrible case of boils from head to foot. (laughs) Then Job took a broken piece of pottery to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. His wife, oh, she grabbed my hair, sorry. Oh, she's not here. Let's see. Who can be his wife today? Let's see. Hillary, be be Job's wife, please. His wife said to him. Are you still trying to be godly when God has done all this to you? Curse him and die. Oh, what a great wife. (laughs) But he replied. You talk like some heathen woman. What? shall we receive only pleasant things from the hand of God and and never anything unpleasant. So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Okay. Last bit here. When three of Job's friends, one, two, three. When three of Job's friends heard of all the tragedy that had befallen him, they got in touch with each other and traveled, they text messaged each other, and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad, come on, Bildad, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. So changed was Job that they scarcely recognized him. Where's Job? wailing loudly in despair they tore their robes wailing loudly in despair they tore their robes and threw dust into the air and put earth on their heads to demonstrate their sorrow then they sat on the ground with him silently for seven days and nights no one speaking a word For they saw that his suffering was too great for words. All right, good job, you guys. Let's get moving. Woo! Well done. Thank you, Job. In the name of Jesus, we just take off every curse that's come upon this young man. No, we should. No, no. God is with Job. God is so proud of Job. Um, Oh, Lord Jesus. How many of you have been in a situation when you have no idea why what is happening to you is happening to you? There's some of you who always know what's happening to you. I'm (laughs) impressed. No, this, the story of Job is one of the oldest stories in the Bible. Some people think it is perhaps the oldest story and it's been the focus of so much attention over the centuries because it is so human. It is the problem of why we don't know why we're suffering. And uh, I think I made a list of kind of the basic arc of the story. Do you have that, Wayne? Let's just go through it real quick. We only read the first two chapters. It's like 40, it's like 45 chapters, something like that. And um, we don't, we're not going to read the whole end of it, but let me, we'll just speed ahead. And most of you kind of know the story of Job, but basically he is a righteous stud. And this is a known fact, there's no question about it. Number two, he doesn't know what has triggered his calamity. That's the basic problem. Now, it gets, tr- it gets thicker because his friends know the problem. Eventually, they stop being silent. They probably should have just stayed being silent. Uh, but instead, about, I don't know, 30, page, 30 chapters of the book is an argument between Job and his friends about, how they think they know he's having trouble because he's actually has some secret sin in his life. So they know that. Um, and then number four, Job comes to the point where he says, I have an argument that I would like to make with God because I know what I would say to God if I could see him. I know within my small little sphere what my experience is and I have a case to make. Um, He says, I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case. He wants a lawyer, personal injury lawyer. And then finally, five, the end of this long story is this most important moment in my mind today. When God meets with Job face to face. It says in Job 38, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I'm going to question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know. And then, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And this is my favorite part. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. There is a, b- a point when we come into the presence of God, when we have a direct face-to-face encounter with Him, the most well-studied uh, Bible scholars, the most, the people who have lived lives walking in ministry with God, it doesn't matter. You are a righteous man, a righteous stead. And Job was. God loved Job. He was, he, I have a lot of respect for Job. But even he, when he comes face to face with God, he says, whoa, I had no idea. I really don't know Jack. Our knowledge is incomplete at best. I like Jack. I, I, you know, I, I watch Jack's movies, but I don't know Jack either, right? And it's kind of similar. We have a lot of respect for God, but it's a big difference between being entertained by God and knowing a lot about Him, being a fan of God, and knowing God from enjoying wonderful things that God brings and knowing God so what we find in the story of the book of Job is that presence presence is more helpful than making points and I think where the enemy has, is using knowledge with us right now is we're all about making points I've got a point, I've got an argument I have something that I can say but we're falling short in the presence category. Uh, last week when I, I said I was in Boston and I was visiting my daughter, and there was one day when she, um, I think, she needs a new glasses prescription, her eyes were hurting her, and she had a really bad migraine. And then she had, maybe because of the migraine, she had like severe nausea. She was supposed to finish this paper. She, her, eye, her head was hurting too badly. She couldn't even look at the screen. So she just had to like lay in bed, and she said, Mom, I feel like I'm going to throw up. So, we got a, a nice stainless steel bowl for my friend, and I just held the bucket for her. There is a lot of good in holding the bucket. I would like that to be something you remember from this day. Let's get back to holding the bucket for our friends who are going through a hard time. What does it mean? Parents know this. Maybe you, maybe you, in college, had a roommate who had a hard night, and you had to s- kneel on the floor next to them, next to the, the porcelain throne, and hold their hair out of the way. You know, holding the bucket, being with somebody while they let out they what they need to let out. That is a service that I think I want to just encourage us as believers is actually a, more important than making a point about what went wrong necessarily. Because in the end, it was God being with Job that transfigured his reality. Um, I also want to make one other point about this. In the story of Job, there is, and in the Bible in general, there is no getting around the fact that there is an actual adversary that we encounter. His name is Satan. He's called the accuser. But Satan has been around a long time. And he knows a lot of stuff. He knows a lot about you. He knows a lot about me. But he uses that knowledge to hit us where it hurts. He is not present with us. That's the difference between Jesus and Satan. Jesus knows a lot about us from the inside, because he is with us. Satan knows a lot about us from the outside and uses it to accuse us. But here's the thing. I like this. Martin Luther said this. The devil is still God's devil. And God uses Satan to accomplish his purposes for good in our lives. That must make Satan so mad. You know, Satan wants to curse us with something, and God has a way of turning it around. Boom! There's a blessing. You know, Satan brings calamity on Job, but if you get to the very end of the book, after Job meets God, God turns around Job's life, and it says the latter part of Job's life was even better than the first part. God has a way of turning what the enemy means for evil to our good. I think that what we see in the book of Job is a precursor, really, of what Jesus Christ completes for us. I want to look really quickly at um, the work of God through Jesus to turn what the enemy has meant for evil for our good. If there was any person more perfect in the world... Would that be? Then Job, sorry. Jesus. Jesus, we are told, was the Son of God in bodily form. He left all knowledge, he left all power, all his inside uh, abilities, and became vulnerable to be one of us. And there's this very, very strange passage from hebrews where it says that jesus though he was perfect though he was the son it says he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him how is that possible is that heresy it's in the bible so it probably isn't but Can Jesus become perfect? If he can become perfect through obedience, through learning, through, in fact, suffering, that just opens up the whole shebang for us. Anything that Satan throws at us in suffering, in affliction, if Jesus can turn it around and use it to become perfect, to learn, then how much more can we? He turns suffering on its head for us. Hebrews 12, 2 says that for the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the place of power. Jesus used suffering to get the maximum victory. The maximum victory. And that's what he calls us to. Every time we're facing a trial How can I get out of this quick? How can I get out of this easy? But I think if we had the mind of Jesus, we would say, how can I get the maximum victory from this? How can I leverage this with my faith, with my obedience, with my submission to God to see a a reality change in the world around me, in my life? How can I get promotion from this trial that I'm in? I think that is actually the gospel. There is a gospel that's out there right now, which is about, you know, if you walk with God, you will not have issues in your life. That's very unscriptural. You just look at the life of Job and look at the life of Jesus. Amen. So if you want to follow Jesus, we need to get used to looking for the glory that comes through trial. Right? Um, Peter, who is famously known for being sifted by Satan, right? Just before Jesus died, Jesus said, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. And apparently, Satan was again allowed to do that. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. When you return, strengthen your brothers, right? And Satan, uh, Satan did sift Peter. Peter went and denied Jesus three times right after that. Peter also did not know Jack, because he said, I'll never deny you. But it doesn't matter. That's the good news. It does not matter what you know, because Jesus says, I prayed for you. When you return, you're going to get better. When you return, you're going to strengthen your brothers. What we learn from the story of Job and Jesus is that God is a God of progress, It's not a circular religion. We just go round and round, round. No, God is a God of progress. We are going somewhere. Jesus died on the cross and he went into a place of greater power and authority. We also, as followers of Jesus, we are in places of trial and struggle. We are going up into a place of elevation and promotion as we do what Jesus did, which is to submit, to trust, to not lose our faith, which is what Job did to wait for the presence of God. Finally, I think this is the money item here today. In the suffering of Jesus, in the suffering of Jesus is where we find a knowable God. It's not in any place else. It's in the weakness of Jesus that we get to know God not just know about God. Because it's in Jesus that we find the God, not like Job's God, where God spoke to Job out of the storm, disembodied, oh, Job, you know. It's in Jesus that we find someone who looks like us. He has a voice like ours. We can look at his face and read his mood. We see Someone that we can relate to. He's like, he's like a chocolate bar. Here, would you like a chocolate bar? Oh, yeah, Do you know chocolate? Yeah. Would you like to know chocolate better? Of course. Here you go. Thank you. Yeah. Now I could read this description: Trader Joe's Dark Chocolate Coffee Buzz. Confected from a blend of Colombian cocoa nibs and coffee beans. Now, if I were to just stop there, you say you're an idiot. You don't know chocolate. You don't know chocolate until you eat it. <laughs> yeah, go for it, Seth. Eat that chocolate bar. I feel like she's saying yes, but I shouldn't. Yeah. And it's in. The entering into Jesus entering into our life, and not entering into His life. You're not gonna eat it. Be nice, but okay. Don't be nice. Just eat it. That, that we encounter the point. The point is not to read the label. The point is to eat the chocolate bar. Right? The point of religion. The point of a divine encounter is not to know about it, it's not to YouTube it, not to DIY it, not to take a class on it, it's to enter into the presence of God and take him in. We're going to do that in a few minutes. We're going to have communion and we're going to take, in a mystical way, Jesus in. And Jesus has already done it. He's taken us in because he was made with flesh and blood. This is why Christianity is completely different from everything else out there that you can walk into in terms of spirituality. Because we cannot be Christians without engaging and being messy and being bloody, without being dirty, without holding the vomit bucket, without suffering in faith. And it's good news. It's good, good news. Um, We encounter the presence of God in many ways. And I want to encourage us as a church, Blue Water, we are about encountering God. If we ever fail to be a church that encounters God, let's just close up these doors and let's get another church in here. We are called to meet with God and to bring God out into the world. If if you... um, It's first-hand experience that makes all the difference. Jesus passed on the kingdom of God to a small group of people and said, you guys go, take this, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons. Because it is in the personal one-to-one transfer that the kingdom of God lives and what progresses, right? If If you said, I want to climb the Himalayas, I could tell you how to do it. I can Google it. I can find the path. I, can, I probably have a satellite imaging, but you would be an idiot to take me as your guide. You want someone who's done it before. You need someone who has climbed the mountain, done the path, knows where to step, has that in their body, and that is Jesus, and that is you and me. The gospel is about firsthand traveling with someone who has done it before and being the people that you can take others along with you. That's what's going to happen on Saturday. Andy Taylor is going to take a bunch of you to help minister to this gal who needs help. You're going to get in there. You're going to pound some things. You're going to rake some leaves. You're going to be in the gospel and pass it along person to person. That's what's going to happen. The well. We're going to gather. We're going to... Be together waiting for the presence of God. We're not there to do music. We're there to meet with God. And I want to encourage you guys to do that. Today, if you are someone who needs to meet with God, maybe life has been harder than you planned. Woo-hoo! Good news! As Peter says, the spirit of glory rests on you if you're suffering. It's good news. Today is an opportunity for you to meet with the living God. Let's, let's, let's try as hard as we possibly can to get rid of our dead language. Let's try as hard as we can to, to actually live in reality, to practice that with one another. When we say, hi, how are you doing? Let's try to be present. Hi, Mindy. How are you doing? And let me give you a hug. I'm gonna give Mindy a hug. Let's let's be present with one another. Let's make the let's let's let the gospel do what it's meant to do. Let's be Jesus to one another. Okay. Um, we're gonna take communion. Robin, do you want to come up with me? We haven't since Jordan's away. Jesus left this amazing, amazing. What do we call it? A thing to do. Because he knows that we need things to do. We need to do things in order to live things, in order to take them in. I know a lot of people will say, oh, that's just a tradition. That's like, well, it can be. It can be just a thing, like a a dead thing you do. Or you can meet with Jesus as you do this thing which he said to do because on the night that he was betrayed he took some bread and broke it up and said like this is a physical reminder of what i'm doing for you because i'm in my in my physical body i'm going to be ripped apart i'm going to be beaten up i'm going to be the blood's going to flow down the street i'm going to be shredded and then i'm going to be mocked and then i'm going to be um, left hanging on a cross to die naked for you, because I would do that for you. No question about it, because we're going somewhere. Take my suffering, take my suffering, and walk with me in my suffering, because we're going somewhere. So we're gonna um, have an opportunity now to do that. And then Jesus also said, here's my blood. It's in this cup of wine. My blood is real. My blood um, changes everything. Be part of it. Let it change you. Um, I think Kwok we have also, if you are in a place where this is, you're not ready to take um, rip off pieces of bread and dip it for whatever reason you have that we love that we bless that. And we have someone on the back here with a, um, a individual servings of communion on the table. Please, as we do this, would you go up there and and take uh, one of those for yourself? Um, But let's just pray. And when you're ready, we'll have two lines. Take off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. And I just encourage you to say in your heart, Jesus, make this real for me. Be realer for me. I want to meet you. Okay, let's go for it. Amen. Would you like for me? Would you like some? Or is it a napkin?